I couldn't help but think of a fellow that I grew up with. His brother was my age, and he was just two years our junior. Went all the way through school with him. After I was saved and called into ministry, this fellow, the younger brother, would call me every time there was a crisis going on. Something happened. One time a guy attempted to kill his daughter. She was a grown young woman, but he called me immediately and I went to the hospital and spent time with him and prayed with him. And then when his brother, his older brother, the guy my age, had a stroke, he called me and I went to Dallas Baylor, spent time with him, prayed with him. On and on, I preached both his grandmother and his mother and his father's funerals. Charles would always call me. And I just learned about three or four weeks ago that Charles took his own life. And I thought, my soul, why didn't you call me just one more time? And it hit me this morning singing this song, Life is Worth the Living Because He Lives. And, you know, it's done now, it can't be undone, but life is worth living because He lives. And for the unsaved, there is certainly a potential to have life better than they've ever had it, or you've had it, it should be in that number, because He lives. He makes the difference in life. Child of God, then and now, then and now, our text is first chapter, John chapter 4, verses 13 through 21. I won't go through all the way through 21 today, maybe touch here and there, because my needle got stuck on two verses, one in our present text and one in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. And that's where the title comes from, the child of God then and now. So we'll read our text here, beginning in verse 13. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. That's a very important verse right there in and of itself. We know that he dwells in us and us in him because he has given us of his spirit. And Romans 8 and 9 says, if we don't have that spirit of God in us, we are not yet saved. And here is a proof of our salvation. And certainly rightly so, because if we don't have the spirit of God in us, according to Paul in Romans 8 and 9, we have not been born of God because when a person is born of God, that's when the Holy Spirit comes in to be permanently in our lives. And we've seen and do testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. There's that apostolic testimony again from John. And speaking of all those that were with Him, we have seen and testify that He is the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in Him and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. 
He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is a commandment we have from him, God the Father, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And we thank you and praise you, Father, that we are your children. And Lord, we testify. I know I speak for all of these, and probably maybe for everyone here tuning in this morning in our internet audience or Facebook and whatever. We know life is worth living because you live, and you live in us, and us in thee. Life is indeed worth living, and we thank you and praise you for it. And all its ups and downs, highways and byways, Lord, we praise you for life in the Lord Jesus. And Lord, this uh, brief moment in our eternal history, we've gathered again, centered around your word in our classes this morning and now in worship. And we all come to hear from thee, from you, to grow in grace, grow in the nurture and admonition of your holy word. And I pray, Father, that never be anything in this place to hinder that. And especially right now, I focus on this moment. There be nothing, none of my flesh, to hinder your teaching us this day, your truth, for your glory, and for our good in Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen and amen. Well, as far as review goes, I always have a review of this previous Sunday. So the review is in one, just one question. Whose battle is it? And if you don't answer, I'm going to preach that same sermon again. Whose battle is it? The Lord's. It's it. The Lord's battle. It's his battle. John makes two incredibly interesting statements. And I thought when I began my study in preparation for this week that the message would go in a different direction. But my needle got stuck here. On two verses. One is in our present text. The other is in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. You might want to flip back to that if you like. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Loved of God once, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Then in our text 417. Here is our love made perfect. We have boldness today of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Those two last phrases there. We shall be like him, for she will see him as he is. Obviously, that speaks as our future, the rapture, when he comes in the air and we are called up to meet him. We shall see him as he is, because we'll be like him. Verse 17, as he is, so we are in the world. Certainly, the first part of that verse speaks of our future and uh, the day of judgment out there in our judgment, not the world's judgment. But the rest of that says this, we are as he is now, as he is, so we are in the world. So there's that future aspect of the first part of that verse. You know, after our rapture and the judgment seat of Christ comes up, 
But that last part, as he is, so we are in this world. And then when we're called up to him to meet him in the air, we shall see him as he is. You know, I can get a hold of that a lot easier. But when I got into this, as he is, so am I in this world. What does that mean to me and to thee? Well, our future. By the way, that's the then part, that first part. We'll deal with it, the future, the future of our lives as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the then part of the title. Okay, that's what we're going to deal with first. First John 3, 2. When he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we'll see him as he is. Obviously, that speaks to the rapture. You may want to turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and following, because I'm going to read that. And this verse is obviously talking about when the Lord shall descend and we shall see him as he is, because we will be like him. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Paul got this straight from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. This we say unto you by the word of the Lord, not something the other disciples gave, something the Lord told them. That we which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain and shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. The Lord himself is going to descend from heaven. Shout of the archangel, trump of God, the Lord himself. What is his mission? To take his church family on. That's why he descends in the air, to take us, members of his church family, and wherever we are scattered around the planet, to take his church family home. And I'll tell you, if those words don't comfort you, there's something wrong with your comforter. And I'm not speaking about the counselor, the Holy Spirit of God. I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. There's something wrong in your heart, or there's something wrong in my heart. If these words don't bring comfort to me, there's something amiss. Because that's the most exciting thing that's going to happen ever in our lives. The Lord's going to descend, and I'm going home along with you. That would make even Baptists stand on the pew and shout. <laughs> you know. I've preached in a few Pentecostal churches. That's a different experience, you know. Yeah, it was fun, and I love those people. I'm not condemning them at all. Take careful note, though. Talking about First Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. Take special note there. There are only three groups of people mentioned there. Just three groups. You might say, well, I don't see but two. There's three. There's three groups mentioned. Who's that first group? Those that sleep in Jesus. Verse 14. They're identified in verse 16. Who are those that sleep in Jesus? The dead in Christ. All of those believers where we've gone out to these cemeteries and buried our loved ones that were born of God, 
those are the ones that are asleep in Jesus. They're not there. Their spirits went immediately to the Lord. Paul says there's only one or two places you can be, either present with the body or absent with the Lord. That's it. You can only be one of two places. But your body's in the cemetery. Those asleep in Jesus. But he also says he'll bring those with him because they went to him to be with immediately him in paradise when they died and left their earthly tabernacle. Those who sleep in Jesus will be resurrected from their graves and immediately their spirits and their bodies will be reunited. That's the first group. The second group, those which are alive and remain, verse 17. I've thought about this a lot because I've stood in those cemeteries a lot through the years and preached graveside services hundreds of times. I, you know, you say, where, where would you like to be? I can remember when, where, exactly where I was when John Kennedy was assassinated, whatever. I want to tell you, I, I can't imagine where I might be when the trump of God sounds, the shout of the archangel. And the Lord is descending in the heavens to take us home. Well, I'll tell you what. One of the most exciting places to stand, I believe, would be in the cemetery. <laughs> Phil and I were talking about the other night. Him being in his family plot and what it might be like. And Phil has a good imagination, so do I. And I told Phil, I said, I'll tell you one thing. If you're there when the trump of God sounds, you're going to have cemetery dirt all over you. Because those graves are going to come open. God always leaves himself a witness. He doesn't have to open the graves. He didn't have to roll the tomb back, stone back, but he never leaves himself without a witness. He's already done this, Matthew 27, 52, when the, he died on the cross. Some of those had been buried right outside the, the wall of the temple out there at the big cemetery on the eastern side. Some of those graves were opened, and those people went back into the city of Jerusalem alive. We'll die again. But they rose and went in alive. Can you imagine what the Jerusalem Post had to say on the headline the next day? Unless it's a liberal paper, wouldn't mention it. <laughs> but he's done it. And he'll do it again. He'll raise those people from the grave. But then we'll be right after that. We're standing in the cemetery. The graves are open. The dead in Christ rise first, united with their spirits. And then we are caught up to meet them in the air. The word caught up there literally means sneeze, snatched out. Sarpazo is a Greek word. It means to snatch out. That doesn't sound so theologically attractive, does it? But we got the word rapture from the Latin translation, the Septuagint of the New Testament. They use the word raptura, raptura. And we get our word rapture from it. That's what the rapture is when we who are alive and remain are caught up with them in the air. Caught up with who? to meet them, those who've just been resurrected from the grave. And so shall we ever be, forever today, with the Lord, post that moment. We'll never be separate from him again, but personally with him from then on out through all eternal history. This is the redemption of the purchased possession Paul talked about. We've already been saved. If you're born of God, you've been redeemed already. You're Jesus paid the penalty for your sins. You've been redeemed, purchased out of the slave market of sin. But there's a redemption in your future. It's the redemption of your body, and that's what Paul talked about. What is first Ephesians 1.14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased 
possession unto the praise of his glory. What is the which <laughs> which he's speaking of? Which is the, per, the earnest? The which is this. Find it in first, uh, Ephesians first, chapter 1, verse 13. I'm having a tongues experience this morning. It's not working with my brain. 113. In whom Jesus you've also trusted, after yet that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after that ye were believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. That's why it's impossible for a person who does not have the Spirit of God in them, as Romans 8 9 says, to be saved. Because the saved ones are the sealed ones. And the sealed ones are the ones being kept until that day in the rapture where we brought out of our graves or caught up if we're still alive. The Holy Spirit. Our sealer. John says... In our text, it's assurance of our salvation. Verse 13 of our present text. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us. Because he's given us of his spirit. Do you know the Holy Spirit in your life? You know, he never moves in and doesn't show up for service. The Holy Spirit's not in you unless you know he's there. He's not an undercover agent for the, God, for the Father, nor the Lord Jesus Christ. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you know it. And you know it experientially more and more and more as you go along life's highway following the Lord Jesus Christ, coming together to worship, study the Word or whatever. You'll know the experience of the Holy Spirit in your lives. He'll convict you of sin. He'll remind you of what you need to know, when you need to know it, that you've learned from the Word of God at a particular time of decision in your life. You'll know the experience of the Holy Spirit. Again, if you have not that experience, you need to find out why you don't have that experience because Paul said, as I mentioned in 8 9 of Romans, if you don't have the Spirit in you, you're lost. Because every unlost person, every person that's been born of God, has that blessed, precious presence of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. Man, I'd rather be, have never been born than to miss being born of God and have the Holy Spirit in my life. Well, that's two groups. Those dead and raised, those alive and caught up. What's the third group? Those left behind. Those still in their graves. Their bodies are still there. A lot of the graves are open. Many are departed. Those who were standing around are gone too. Some graves, the grass is still growing. Nothing's happened. They're still there. That's the third group. Those that are left behind. That never came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in this life. And this life, on this stage, called planet Earth, is the only opportunity to come to Christ. There is no post-death redemption. All this, uh, you know, the meritorial works of the saints gone before and all that stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't come to Christ in this life, you ain't going to come to Christ in this life. 
you're going to die in Christ, without, die in this life without Christ if you don't come to Christ in this life. You have to be born again before your heart stops and ends this life. So the third group is that group left behind. Let's look at the future and present condition of that third group. You know, one of the easiest ways to find out about this third group that's left behind is to read what Paul said about the, the believers before they came to Christ. We can go into the Word of God and show a person who's unsaved what believers have from this council of Scripture. And then they're not in Christ, so they have none of what the Word of God says. Paul spoke to the believers in Ephesus clearly about their experience, what they were like before they came to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, that you were at that time, when? Before they were saved. At that time, you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenant of promise. You are having no hope and without God in the world. That was them. Out, without God, you have no hope in the world. And that's true. If you don't have Christ in your life, you have no hope. And as long as you are without Christ, you will always have no hope. That was their previous condition before they were born again through faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And after they came to faith, Paul says, hey, Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for you. No condemnation for your sin because you are in Christ Jesus the Lord. So to the lost person, he says this. You don't have Christ in your life. You have no hope. You're without God in this world. If that weren't bad enough, hear this. You're still under condemnation before a holy God for every sin you ever committed in your entire earthly existence. John 3.18 says, He that believeth on him, Jesus, is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. That's your estate, lost woman, man, boy, or girl. If you've not savingly believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're condemned already. And you stay under condemnation until, by the grace of God, you come to him in childlike faith in the Lord Jesus. And of course, you leave this life like that, Hell is in your future. So sum it all up. Unsaved person, the closest thing to heaven you've ever known is your experience on earth. Because hell cometh hereafter for every unsaved person. Well, what exactly happens at the rapture? Think of the story with the Apostle Paul in, in Corinth. First chapter, you might want to turn to this. First chapter, uh, First Corinthians chapter 15. I'll begin reading in 23. By the way, there's a lot of texts like this where the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning coming into the air, down in the air, and the second coming when he touches down on planet Earth are juxtapositioned together in the same verse. You can find it in the Old Testament. We call it, in interpretation here, a near and far prophecy. The near is right now, 
and as far as that may be, be thousands of years later. Doesn't mean it's not true, literally true, but that's just the way the Word of God was given. And this is one of those cases. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after they Christ it is coming, then cometh the end. That's the end, jump from the rapture to the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, which he shall put down all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign till he hath put all things under his feet. I saw him at the very end. We began with the rapture, goes all the way to the end. First Corinthians chapter 15, 50 through 57. Now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We shall not all be buried. Some of us are still going to be alive, but we're all going to be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound. The dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 and 21, Paul says, Our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to do all things unto himself. You have a problem with the resurrection from the dead? Read that verse. <laughs> he is able to subdue all things unto himself. Able to subdue all things unto himself. What did he do in the beginning? All things were created by him, for him. Without him was not anything created. What did he do? As one of these black pastors said, God love him. He stood on nothing and spoke into existence everything. He's able to subdue all things to himself. There are those that get off on this deal about the Big Bang Theory and trying to talk about the, the doctrine of creation and all that stuff. You know something? I don't have a problem with some of that. The Big Bang Theory, I don't have a problem. I've been on the fourth level of a five-story tower in Texas City, Texas, that housed these polyethylene reactors that operated 32 to 35,000 pounds of pressure. When they had a decomposition, it was an experience. A black cow would go four or five stories in the air. But I was on the fourth level one night because I had to walk around and check those. And the concussion, that thing knocked me flat. What happened? The temperature went up. And when the temperature went up, the pressure went up. When the pressure went up, the temperature went up. Da, 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 da. And, it and it blew up. When you bring together molecules like that in such a dynamic experience, there is noise and there is smoke. And so when God steps out there onto nothing and calls into existence this, that, and the other, molecules move. He's able to subdue all things unto himself. <laughs> no telling how much noise there was. I don't know. Maybe there's none. But do you know something? He's able to subdue all things to himself. That means down to the molecular level, down to the atomic level. He is God. Our problem is thinking outside the box of our minds. He is the Lord. He does what he wants to. The scripture says he does what he wants to in the heavens and the earth and under the earth. And no one stays his hand. That's the Lord. And isn't it incredible that you and I can be in personal relationship with him? That's what we have in Christ Jesus, the Lord.
And of course, it takes nothing less but his sovereign, infinite power to change our vile bodies, buried or alive, into the likeness of the Son of God. It has to be sovereign, infinite power to do that, to do our vile bodies. And that's his sovereign fashioning of the resurrected and redeemed believers is only to them that came to faith in Christ in this life. That's the first resurrection to life. The second resurrection comes later, after the millennial reign, whatever. There's a resurrection then. We're talking about the first resurrection. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 20, the first and second revelation. But those are in the first resurrection, excuse me, first and second resurrection. Those in the first resurrection, the second death has no touch on them whatsoever because they're the redeemed of God and grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. And should you be without Christ today here in your auditorium or in our internet family, I'm thinking, well, if I should die without Christ, that's the end of it. That's the end of my existence. I'll just stay in my grave throughout eternity. Nothing comes after this life. I suppose if you're thinking that at this moment, wherever you are, it might well bring some measure of comfort to you now. Now. But remaining forever in your grave is not an option for you because no one stays in their grave. No one remains hidden in the grave forever. Jesus spoke clearly about that, of the unsaved and the saved. John chapter 5, 25 through 29. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. Verse 27, And hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Verse 28, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in which all that are in the graves, all that are in the graves, shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, verse 29. They that have done uh, good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation, the resurrection of judgment, could be translated that way, that last word, damnation, the resurrection of judgment. Those that have done good, those that have done evil. What is the most, the best thing that a person could do in this life? Come to Christ. The most evil thing is to reject the truth of God concerning Christ Jesus the Lord. What is the unpardonable sin? Rejection of Christ. That's it. Rejection of Christ. That is the unpardonable sin. You cannot reject Christ and get out of your existence, which is an eternal existence, without being a resident of hell. No way. That's it. Got to have Christ in your life. So the resurrection from the grave for everyone is wonderful news for the saved. It's horrible news for the unsaved. I have some friends that have died. Good people, 
basically. I wish they could stay in their graves. I wish they could. Not according to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the present condition of every believer, and this is the, the now part, then and now of our title, the present condition of every believer, 417, the, just the first part of that verse, though, 417, here is our love made perfect that we have boldness in the day of judgment. Boldness in the day of judgment. The Greek word is parousia. It means unshrinking confidence. Unshrinking confidence in the day of judgment when we stand before the Lord. When the love of God in us has had its perfect effect, brought to completion, we have boldness when we stand before Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, in the original Greek, in that sentence right there, boldness in the day of judgment, the article the is before each noun, so it could be translated, maybe should be, really, the day of the judgment. We have boldness in the day of the judgment. And that phrase, the day of judgment, as is translated in this verse, appears several other times, four times in Matthew and two times in Second Peter. In those other occurrences, the article the is only before the word day, okay? The day of judgment. There it's before, in this verse, the day of this judgment. And this judgment, of which we speak now, is distinguished from that judgment that comes at the end of the age of all the ungodly, all the unsaved. The end time judgment. But our judgment is the judgment seat of Christ, the beam of seat where rewards are given or not, but no condemnation. It's like the old, you know, games in the Colosseum. They gave a laurel wreath or whatever, the Bema seat. I've been to one of those Bema seats there in Corinth and seen it. But it's where they awarded them, the winners. They didn't beat the losers there. They awarded them. And this judgment seat of Christ is the awarding of treasures, whatever they may be, for faithful service, or maybe not, but there's no call to question about our salvation, because that's done. Otherwise, we wouldn't be there. If we weren't saved, we wouldn't be at that seat. We'd still be in the grave waiting on the last judgment to come. Boldness. That's the same word, by the way, he used in 1 John 2.28, talk about confidence it is coming, certainly, parousia, confidence it is coming. And 3.21 and 22, it's our confidence in prayer. And he'll speak it again, use that same word in 1 John chapter 5, 14 and 15, when he speaks of our confidence in laying our petitions before him. We have confidence before him in prayer, confidence before him at the judgment seat of Christ. Well, why is that? What is that confidence about? It's, it's because this love has been perfected in us. And don't ever be misled to think that's the love that you, were, you had as a human being. No, it's the love of God in you, the agape love in you. Perfection is the word teleos. It means brought to completion for its intended purpose. 
And that's the love of God in us being brought to completion to its intended purpose that we would have confidence before him, unhindered fellowship with him and the Lord Jesus Christ during this life and confidence before him at the judgment seat after the rapture. Confidence, unhindered confidence before him. And of course the ground for all of that is not what we get there, it's what we possess here. It's our present position of Christ walking in him in this life. And as we, we might have been saved a year or two or five or 10 or 20 or 40, but as we grow in Christ, we grow in the nurture and admonition of his word. And as we go through life's, life's experiences and seeing him delivering us from here and providing for us there, we grow in faith in him. And the likeness of Christ is being more and more developed in us. And the Father sees that we look more and more like his son. And the fruit of all this is his love is brought more and more into completion where we have confidence, confidence before him. Well, the second part of the verse Hearing as I love made perfect, may have boldness, so forth, because as he is, so we are in the world. That's striking to me. Because as the Lord is thou, so are we in the world. There's three adjectives that you could use to describe the Lord Jesus Christ. There's lots of them, but there's three that I selected. Singular, sinless, and sameness, okay? Singular, sinless, and sameness. Singular, he was the only begotten Son of God. Monogenes. Unique, never to be repeated, only one, that Son of God. Sinless, Hebrews 4.15. He was tempted in all ways like we, yet without sin. He had no sin. He was a singular Son of God. We're children of God. We were never going to be a Son of God like that. And he was sinless. Sameness. Hebrews 13 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord Jesus Christ was anointed with the Holy Spirit in a way and in a measure that no one else in human history has ever experienced or will experience. Hebrews 3.34, John 3.34, for he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God, unhindered the words of God. Why? Because God gave him the spirit without measure unto him. In other words, there's no measuring back. It was a full endowment, the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God without limit. The, love, the dove descended, descended on the Lord Jesus Christ at his baptism. You never see about, hear anything about the Lord Jesus Christ being Filled with the Spirit. But you see it about us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have one baptism. We're baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit of God. But we have potentially the experience of many fillings of the Holy Spirit subsequent to our singular baptism into the body of Christ. And what is that? Well, we leak. <laughs> one guy said, that's not really theologically correct. <laughs> But we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We quench the Holy Spirit of God. We hinder his ministry in us. And we repent. And we get back into the word of God and get our lives aligned right again. And then 
We're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Sometimes it's a filling for a particular mission or a particular ministry or purpose. Many fillings. While on earth, he condemns sin in the flesh. That's what Romans 8, 3 says. Condemns sin in the flesh. God sent his own son in the likeness of sin in the flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Romans 6.10 says he completed his mission. And that he died, he died unto sin once. But then he liveth, he liveth unto God. And his last words on the cross, John 17, it is finished. <laughs> it is finished. How profound. And all that suffering and all that agony, it's finished. Glory to the living God and his sovereign purpose of redemption for you and I. And because of all of that, condemnation for sin, not his sin, but ours, is behind him. And because it's behind him, it's not in front of us. There is no condemnation for us because he paid the price for our sin. Now that's just a brief sketch. <laughs> you know, well, there's so many things you could say. How does that all apply to us? Second half of verse 17. The way we are in this world. Jesus was the only begotten Son of God. By the Holy Spirit dealing with the Virgin Mary, right? Only begotten. But every believer is also begotten by the same Holy Spirit. Not by virgin birth. But by the same Holy Spirit of God, we are begotten of Him. Ephesians 2, 5, and 6. Even when we were dead, hath he quickened us together with Christ, raised us up together, made us sit in heavenly places together in Christ Jesus the Lord. That's the regeneration by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God moved on our hearts as he moved on Mary's body. There was a begotten son there, unique son of God. But here are unique children of God individually as we come to Christ because he regenerates our souls and enables us to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not sinless, but we are eternally acquitted because he paid the price, the penalty for our sins. Scripture says the Lord's the same yesterday and day forever. How does that apply to us? Our salvation, the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you go from eternity to eternity, you go back and say, well, it started before the foundation of the earth. came to fruition during my personal sojourn on the planet, but it continues throughout eternity. Salvation in you and I, in the Lord Jesus, forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. Now, listen to me. <laughs> I bring this outline, you know, and I preach all over it. I'm finding, I, well, I've already preached this and that and the other. I get going. I'm just all over the map with it. I guess it matters not. <laughs> Hope not. <laughs> anyway, listen to me now. Child of God, you and I can have the same boldness before God the Father 
as Christ the Son has. Now that may sound like heresy. It's not. It's not. Today in our earthly life, we have, what? A standing before God, blood-bought. An acquittal for our sins before the Father, blood-bought. Not by accident, by His intent. That's what He did when He sent His Son to save the elect of God. Blood-bought, paid for. So when He sees us, He sees the righteousness of Christ His Son imputed to us, you and I. And it means this, we are accepted into the family. That's what he said in Ephesians chapter 1. Chosen to be adopted as his children through the Lord Jesus Christ. You are accepted before the Father. You are accepted before Christ the Son if you have been born of God through faith and trust in him alone. And so you can have the same confidence before the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. And the same confidence before the Father in prayer. As the Lord does. As the Lord Jesus does. If you don't have that, we need to figure out why. Because you might not be saved. Because if you're not enjoying that confidence today, and ladies and gentlemen, if someone ran in the door right now and said, Bratcher, stop preaching. It's been announced the Lord is coming. We heard the trumpet. He's going to be here at 3 o'clock. I say, great. <laughs> Let's go. Because by the grace of God, he purposed that I have that confidence. And you have that confidence too. So we run out the door. We're ready to see the Lord. Ready to be caught up in the air with him. Confidence. And God intends you to have that kind of confidence every single day of your life. Because you're adopted into his family through the blood of Christ. And if you don't have that, and I'll close with this. There's only one of three reasons I see. Maybe there are more. But here's three I see. If, you don't have, if you're not enjoying that confidence today, it's either the absence of faith and believing the clear, distinct record of the word of God. Or it's the present and persistent sin in your life, grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit of God, so you're always struggling with guilt. Or, of course... You've never been born of God. Never been saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that third category is where you find yourself yet unsaved here in our internet group, wherever you are, let us help you. Let us help you because others have helped us. People here in the auditorium could help one another. I'm available to you. They're available to you. Over the internet, you can contact us. We're available. Let us help you. If the second is your issue, repent of your sin. For goodness sake, don't miss the joy of the day. What is the joy of the day? Confidence before God. Don't miss that. There's no sin worth that. To miss that joy of the day. And that joy of the day being confidence before him. Let's pray. Holy Father, we love you. We love you, Master. And our salvation is all of grace, and we know it. And we're grateful, Father. 
that we're sealed under the day of redemption. We're grateful, Father, that we can come before your throne of grace with boldness, find grace to help us in time of need. But Lord, we're grateful we can just come before you and say, Lord, we love you. And we're grateful for life in the Lord Jesus. And Father, there's anyone in the sound of my voice anywhere in the land, here in another country over Facebook or wherever in this auditorium, that's yet to come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, today you do that sovereign work in their lives that no one else can do, that you bring them quickly, most assuredly unto thee, enabling them to place their faith and trust in the blessed Lord Jesus. It's our prayer, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.